Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. So can we make some noise in this house for God? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so excited to preach. And on this morning, if you would turn your Bibles to Revelation 7, 9. It's in the back of the book. Uh, that should be pretty easy to find. But Revelation 7, 9. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We declare that on this morning, that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Grace City Tampa, I want to speak to you just from a few minutes from the subject titled Blended Family. God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come here together as a family. God, we pray that you will open up our eyes, open up our ears to receive your word. In Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen, and amen. Well, I love this scripture because it gives us a vision of not just what to expect in the future, but it gives us a view of what we can experience here and now. This word multitude in Revelation 7-9 is something that we will experience in the future, but it's also one of those things that God gives us a glimpse of here on earth, here and now. I believe the Bible speaks of those things in the heavenly realm as God gives us a glimpse of those things on the earthly realm. This Bi the Bible says this great multitude. Like I said, one of the glimpses that we get every day, if you look out in this crowd, you'll see people who are from different nations, people who are a part of different cultures, and people who speak different languages. Yet, there still seems to be a disconnect in our world between every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. Revelation 7-9 speaks of something that will happen, but it also is a testament of how God has orchestrated all of our lives to live together here on earth as a family, not only in the future, but also in the present. Uh, when I was a senior in high school transitioning to go to college, um, I had a severe case of, um, sorry, it's hard to talk about. Um, I had a severe case of senioritis. Um, yeah, that didn't hit like I thought it was going to be. That's okay. Y'all are a really tough crowd. It's all right. Um, but I had a severe case of senioritis. In my senior year of high school, I thought that I was going to get everything together when I got to college because in high school, I would always turn in my assignments late. And if I turned them in on time, it would be mid. And sometimes I didn't even turn them in at all. And I was in the mindset of when I get to college, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm going to ask that girl out. Didn't happen. Still single. I'm going to turn in my assignments on time. I'm going to communicate with my professors. And lo and behold, 
when I got to college, those same patterns that I had developed in my early years transferred with me to my college years. Why? Because I failed to prepare in the present. In Grace City, Tampa, if you don't hear anything else from me on this morning, know that if we fail to prepare in our present, we will not be prepared in our future. What am I trying to say to you on this morning? I'm saying that if we don't learn to live together in our present, we're in for a rude awakening when we find ourselves dwelling with people who we chose never to associate ourselves with on this present earth. God has planted us here for a reason and for a purpose. We think that living in harmony was a problem or is a problem of the present. Or we think that Living in harmony was conflict during the civil rights movement. Now, living in harmony has been a hot topic since the beginning of time. If you look at Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, of their brothers, and they had trouble living together so much that one killed the other. If you look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you'll see that a lot of it uh, consisted of him bringing people together for the glory of of God, whether that was through a message, whether that was through a healing or a miracle or a parable, usually there was something that people were divided on and God or Jesus had to come and set the record straight and say, whatever you are looking to find can only be found through the divine. And I think in the past we have seen communi uh, communities that cater to specific preferences as it pertains to denomination, as it pertains to theology, worship, style, politics, and culture. We've even seen church consultants consulting pastors and saying, hey, you need to stick to a certain demographic. You need to stick to a certain ethnic culture or you need to stick to a certain economic background. But I believe there's about to be a shift in the church where we don't not include everybody, but we open up an invitation for everybody to have a seat at the table. And we pursue the mission that God has commissioned us to go after, which is to reach, teach, and make disciples of what all? Everybody say all. Reach, teach, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Revelation 7-9 suggests that a day will come when all that separates us now is overcome by the common desire to glorify God who created all things and to glorify the God who saved us through Christ Jesus. Great City Tampa, I've come to tell you that we do not have to wait until we get to heaven to allow this Christian unity to happen, but we can start right now. My, our grandmother used to say, we don't have to wait until the battle is over to shout now, but we can start right now. Is there anybody that can join me and say, hey, we're going to start right now. This disconnect that we feel in our world is not just between nations. It's not just between tribes, people, and languages. But how many of you know that even in your own household, there can be a disconnect? I'm going to take a little poll here. Have you ever been a part of your own family and felt a disconnect? Anybody? Anybody? Have you ever been a part of your own marriage and felt a disconnect? Please do not raise your hand. <laughs> Have you ever been at work and felt a disconnect? Have you ever grown up with siblings all your life only to become an adult? And feel a disconnect. See, family can be the closest people that you have in your life, yet the furthest thing 
that you feel apart. Someone once said that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And I think the church has unadopted this, where we find ourselves choosing our friends and also choosing our family, neglecting people that God has put in your circle to bridge this disconnect between you and your father. Sometimes the hardest family members to connect with are the ones that you didn't ask for, but that you were just blended into. The blended family is family that sometimes, even when you don't feel like it, you have to learn to live with. When you look at what a blended family is and how the church operates, you'll find out that the church is much like a blended family. And for those of you who don't know what blended families are, there are families made up of a couple and their children from previous relationships or marriages, as well as any children they may have together. And as it pertains to the church and blended families, both are made up of diverse individuals with different backgrounds and experiences. In a blended family, there may be children from different marriages or relationships. And in a church, there may be people from different races, different cultures, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Both require understanding, acceptance, and tolerance of differences. Both involve a sense of community and support. And in a blended family, it's important for family members to come together and support one another through the ups and downs. Similarly, in a church, members come together to support each other and build a sense of community. Both require communication and understanding. In a blended family, open and honest communication is essential for navigating complex relationships. And in a church... Communication is also key for building relationships and understanding the needs and perspective of others. Are we seeing the similarity? Both offer the opportunity for growth and transformation. In a blended family, individuals have the chance to develop new relationships and expand their understanding of family. In a church, members have the opportunity to grow in their faith and develop new perspectives through the teaching of the church. Overall, while there are differences between a church and a blended family, both can offer a sense of community. Some would say that Jesus was a part of a blended family. And throughout our time here, I want to go through a few family units in the Bible that might be known as a blended family. As we look at Scripture... And if you are unfamiliar with Jesus' family structure, Jesus was the son of Mary and Joseph and was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We as Christians understand Jesus to be born of a virgin Mary. And even though we cannot confirm that he had other brothers and sisters, we find him being raised by an earthly father or a stepfather that had no blood tie or DNA to him. One of the scriptures that stuck out to me as we look at Jesus and Joseph's relationship is Matthew chapter 2, verse 12 through 23. And it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. I want to pause right there. The scripture shows an event that happened shortly 
after the birth of Jesus. An angel appears to Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly father, stepfather, and tells him to get Mary and get Jesus, who was, has no kinship, and take them to another country because the king got wind from the wise men that another king was about to be born. And in an attempt to find Jesus, who was the true king, the wise men visited King Herod in Jerusalem, asking him, where is this newborn king of the Jews? King Herod was troubled by this news because he saw Jesus as a rival to his own power. And in an attempt to locate the child, Herod called the chief priests and scribes, asking them, where is this Messiah going to be born? They told him that the prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. King Herod then called the wise men back to his place and told them, go to Bethlehem and search for this child. He also asked them to return and tell them where the child was so that he could go and worship him, major cap. And to, man, my jokes is not landing. And to avoid this, the wise men, after they had visited Jesus, Joseph takes Jesus and Mary and they escape to Egypt. So Joseph gets Mary and Joseph, and as they flee to Egypt, they find themselves on a journey. And this is significant because the route to take to Egypt is about 99 miles. And they didn't have cars back then. They would have taken a donkey or they would have had to travel on foot. The journey would have taken them through rough roads and not just through rough roads, but different uh, communities and different politics and different customs and different rules. That was not an easy trip. And I don't know too many people that would love their child or stepchild so much to pick them up and move to an entire new country. But Joseph loved this stepson so much and respected the decree of this angel so much that he took Jesus and Mary and they, flee, and they flew to a different country. I wonder how it is for the Savior that we know him to be today to be saved. I wonder how it is to be delivered when you're the deliverer. That's a hard task to do, to be the one to have the weight of the world on your shoulders, to deliver the deliverer, to save the Savior. And I don't think Joseph gets enough credit. If Joseph would have disobeyed the angel of the Lord, there's a small possibility, and I mean very small possibility, that we would not know the Savior as we know him today. He quite literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And let me pause for a second because there are some of you in here that have some family members that you can't stand or that you have been putting up with them for so long and you're unwilling to form a relationship with them. And I believe that God is calling us to step out and be the catalyst to their deliverance. To be the one to start that conversation. To be the one to go on a trip with them. To be the one to take them out to coffee. Because you could be the very thing that leads them to get out of the things that they cannot see. Not for them, but for the generations that come after you. And just think about your story. Or just think about how you got here today. Someone had a conversation with you. Some of you are even going to give your life to Christ after this sermon. But someone had a conversation with you, invited you somewhere, and invited you to the house of God. They got out of their comfort zone. 
And if Jesus had a season in his life where he had to depend on family to deliver him from things that he could not see, what makes us think that we don't need family in our lives to lead us to deliverance? So we don't experience the things that we cannot see. What is crazy about this story is that this is not the first time that someone in the Bible has been delivered to Egypt. Let's look at Moses in the Old Testament had a moment in his life where the king also put out an order to have every baby boy killed. So his mother put him in a basket and put him in the river where he floated to the palace only to be raised with people he had no blood relation to. He blended into a family in a role that was not originally intended for him. But God has a way of using every family structure that we are a part of to bring us closer to his will for our lives. Being a part of a blended family can be tricky, but it also can be one of the most beautiful things a part of your story. Take, for instance, the story of Joseph, not Joseph, Jesus' stepfather, but Joseph in the coat of many colors in the Old Testament. To better understand Joseph's blended family, let's go back to his father, Jacob. The story of Jacob's marriage is told in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament of the Bible. According to the biblical account, we see that he really had a crush on this one particular lady. And so he went to her father to see if he could marry her. And the father ended up tricking him where he ended up getting married to the love of his his life's sister. And he ended up having to work seven more years to win the girl of his dreams. We see that on the night of the wedding, he got tricked. And so he went through the turmoil of working for someone who had nothing in his best interest. And despite this difficult start, Jacob eventually had many children with both sisters, Leah and Rachel, as well as their maidservants. And his 12 sons would become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So here we have Joseph, who has siblings from Leah, the maidservants, and both women. And Joseph is born of the woman that his father Jacob wanted to be with from the very beginning. So you can imagine the jealousy and the tension between his brothers being born of the most important woman in their father's life that he had worked 14 years for. Let's read into this tension. In Genesis 37, 3 through 8, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. When you are involved involved in a blended family, it is hard to allocate attention equally for all children. Joseph's father did a horrible job at this because he went out and bought the most expensive coat that he could find for him, disregarding the other brother's contributions to the family. And what topped the brother's jealousy off 
is Joseph starts to have these dreams and he shares them with his brothers. And I love this dream because this dream that Joseph tells his brothers consists of sheaves that were binded together. And if you don't know what a sheaf is, it, it is a bundle of grain stalk that are laid down and tied together after reaping. There's so much significance in this dream that I will get to, but I want to deal with a specific part of this dream. He tells his brothers that were not all biologically his of a dream that prophesies a time where his grain is going to be the only grain standing and that the other grains will bow down. These brothers only focused on the fact that Joseph was saying that there was going to be a day where they bowed down to him, which, by the way, came into fruition. But they missed the main point of this dream. And the main point in this dream that I want us to get today is that these grain that grew individually had no say in what was done after it grew and are now being binded together. See, the reason why farmers bind grain together is so the sheaves can stay well ventilated to be sent out. The whole reason why Christians come to church is so that we can be equipped in the house to be sent out. Sunday is not just for us to sit down and dry out, but Sunday is for us to come and be equipped so we can go into the city of Tampa and bring them to the house to equip. And so you see this ripple effect of people being equipped by one person. If everyone in this room just told one person about the goodness of Jesus, we'll be see a ripple effect throughout Tampa that the news would be talking about that no one could understand because it is all by the grace of God and by the power of our testimony. This should be what we eat, breathe, and sleep. We have good news to share. The good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And the only reason that we are in Tampa is to reach, teach, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The only reason that we are here in Tampa is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. The only reason that we are here in Tampa because we want to be a house where what the lost are found. This is the only reason that we are in Tampa. In other words... The harvest is now. Our pastor preached this earlier in the year, and I want to remind you, and I want you to forget that the harvest is now. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to understand that the harvest is now, that your time is now to reach out. Your time is now to grab coffee with someone. The time is now for you to share your testimony. God has done too much for us to sit down in the house of God, dry out, and not open up our mouths and tell of the goodness of Jesus. But God has restored our lives so we can go out and tell of the good news of the restorer and now is the time God said where my children need to be set free and I'm so glad there was a moment in time where God said now is the time where I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross and set the captives free I'm so glad that God said, now is the time where I'm going to adopt my sons and daughters into a family. And I believe that this binding of sheaves that happens in Joseph's dream is a representation of a blended family that has been binded together to be equipped and sent out. You may be wondering, who is this bind that holds this family together? 
Now I've come to proclaim to you that Jesus is the bond that holds this blended family together. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When the days get rough, remember that it is Jesus' love that holds us together. When anxiety gets rough, remember that it is his goodness that holds us together. When family members get annoying, remember that it is his patience that brings us together. When family members say something that is hurtful, remember that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And as the story of Joseph goes on, we learn through scripture that his brothers end up selling him into slavery. Where? They sell him into slavery to Egypt. This is the same place that Moses was delivered to. The same place that Jesus was delivered to. And Joseph's gifts of interpreting dreams made room for him to become second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And the dream that Joseph told to his brothers came to pass when there was a famine in their land. And they had to come to their brother who they did not know had been elevated and asked to have mercy on them. The relationship that society said was broken ended up being mended through Joseph's ability to forgive. This blended family took some time to adjust to, but in the end became the very relationship that gave them life. When the world wants to deem us as a broken group of people, they must understand that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been mended and blended together to declare that the harvest is now. And I want to remind you in this house on this morning that we are not broken, but we are blended. The question is, when, the question when you are blending a family is how do you get them to align? Because some of the ages intermingle because the youngest is no longer the baby of the family. And the oldest is no longer the oldest. And there's the issue of adjustment. And basically you have someone that was not a part of your family yesterday, a part of your family today, that is fulfilling the role that you once had. It's one thing when you have combined families in the sense where y'all have moved together and are with each other every single day. But it is an entirely different story when one parent's children is in between homes and are one, they are seeing them only 90 days out of the 365 days of the year where the entire combined family are together. Half of the children are coming from another house with another set of rules and you have another set of rules that is going on at your house. It's enough having family members with different individualistic ideas of their own, but now they're having to submit under two households and two wheels. See, it's funny because we have people in the church that have different foundational and traditional backgrounds when it comes to the Christian faith. Some in this church grew up Methodist. Some grew up Episcopalian. Some grew up Catholic. Some grew up Mormon. Some grew up not believing in God. Some grew up Baptocostal. We all have different backgrounds. I'm glad y'all laughed. Y'all are tough. <laughs> A different structure, culture, and ways of engaging with God that they may not be used to, but we have, one thing we have in common is that once we were broken and God mended our broken hearts, once we were lost, and now there is a moment in time where we become found. And as the band comes up, 
Uh, I recently got an Ancestry.com account. If you don't have one, I highly encourage you getting one. And I got one because I know nothing about my last name. My last name is Character. And I can't trace my last name beyond my grandfather. My great-grandfather is a mystery that no one knows about. And in the past few weeks, I've actually had the opportunity uh, to call some of my older cousins that used to hung, hang out with my grandfather. And I would ask them questions of, do you know anything about this Willis character? And the only thing that they can recall is going with my grandfather to his shop where he used to work on cars. This man is a mystery. And all the other side of my family is filled, and I can trace my genealogy all the way back. Then on the character side, there's just this vacancy that I can't seem to find. You see, my dad didn't meet his dad until he was 15. And ironically, I didn't meet his dad until I was also 15. My dad was raised by his grandmother because his mother or father was not in his life. When my dad's grandmother remarried, my dad joined a family that he had no DNA relation to. And even though I had the opportunity to meet my dad's biological father and his other children that live in Seattle, Washington, who I still stay in contact with, the family that my dad was raised in is the only memory that my father has. And even though my last name is Character, I relate more to the Bridges family. Bo Bridges, who was my dad's step-grandfather, it was a deacon in the church that I grew up in. This is the church where my dad got saved. This is the church where my dad was raised in. And earlier, I talked about how Jesus was a part of a blended family. And his stepfather, Joseph, was the one that saved Jesus from being killed. And then I went on to talk about Moses. And how he was raised by a family that found him on the river so he wouldn't be killed. And then I talked about Joseph and how even though his blended family had him killed, his captivity ended up being his saving grace. And then you have my dad's story. This family that he had to adjust to. That he had differences with ended up being the family that planted him in a church where I got saved they planted my dad in a church where I got baptized they planted my dad in a church where I sang my first song they planted him in a church where I played my first song they planted him in a church where I received my calling. And they planted him in a church where I preached my first message. See, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for this family taking in a young boy whose parents walked out on him. If it wasn't for this family giving him a setup for the future. They called him son 
And even though he was not related to them, they were being used by God to give him a destiny for his future. And as we stand all over this room, you know, half of my name comes from a family that I have no DNA connection to. But it comes from a family that my father was blended into. See, my full name is Ronald Wayne Character. The first part of my name, Ronald Wayne, this is about to get confusing, but it comes from my dad's step-grandfather's son. I don't know this man. I never met this man. But my dad was impacted so much by this family that he chose to pass on a name that gave him saving grace. See, every single person in this room has been touched by blended families, even me. Many blended families don't feel welcome in church, but we want to change the script and let you know that not only are you welcome in the church, there is healing here, there's opportunity to grow and opportunity to combat the statistics that say you won't make it. If you look at my dad's story, he had two other brothers that I was able to meet and kind of grow up with, but they didn't have the same last name. Both of my dad's brothers found themselves in prison. And because this blended family found in their hearts to take in a young boy that they nicknamed Cookie. I had a representation of a father and a family that planted me in the house of God. That loved me despite me. That I'm able to call one of my best friends and it did not start with him, but it started with this blended family. You know, there are statistics that say the church won't make it because we are too different. Our politics are too different. Our theology is too different. But I'm looking at a people and I'm looking at a generation that says even though we have differences, we glean to the bind that holds us together and this bind that holds us together his name is Jesus and when this side of the family embraces this side of the family and says hey I know we don't have the same last name I know we don't look like each other I know we don't have the same DNA I know we don't have the same physical blood running through our veins but because the God in heaven loved me so much to embrace my differences and because I want to be more like Jesus and because I want to be more like my father 
I'm going to not look past your differences, but I'm going to embrace your differences. I'm going to love you like my father has loved you. I'm going to invite you into a family just as my father has invited me into a family. This is our mission, to reach, teach, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again. This is our mission, to reach, teach, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is our mission, to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our mission to be a house, come on, say it with me, where the lost are found. Come on, this is a house, come on, where the lost are found. Say it with me. This is a house where the lost are. You may not look like me. Probably one of the only black, I see one right there. Thanksgiving, you may call it stuffing. I may call it dressing. It's dressing. <laughs> but as we go back into this song that was written out of this house, I want to proclaim to you that the harvest is now. We don't wait till tomorrow to reap the harvest, but we say the harvest is now. We don't wait till the battle is over to shout now. But we shout from the rooftops that the harvest is now. We don't wait till tomorrow to shout from the rooftops. But we shout right here, right now, that our mission is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We shout from the rooftops that this is a house that the lost are found and the harvest is now. Come on, can we lift our voice? Can we lift our hands and to proclaim this, that the harvest is now. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.